Peace and blessings to everyone. As always, welcome back to another episode of Roots and Faith. Uh, go ahead, if you haven't done already, like this video, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, follow our podcast, wherever you get your podcast from, and just share this current video that you are watching or this podcast that you are listening to to just get it out to your friends, your family, uh, just so that, you know, everyone can kind of really hear. I hope uh, everything we're doing here has been very edifying, and I hope uh, you're about ready to learn some today, and you've been able to take a lot of the knowledge as we've been going through looking at the sacraments of the Christian faith, understanding why these ordinances are followed by every denomination, and as we look at how some of the ways that these sacraments are done within different denominations, how these sacraments are uh, shown to are held within the different churches, how they're interpreted, uh, what the numbers of different denominations have come to understand these sacraments as being. I really hope that uh, these guys are all blessings we discuss and you not only get a full knowledge about how our friends and families of other different denominations encounter God, but that you're able to take this knowledge and put it forth into your own personal practices as you go out to preach the gospel to your friends and neighbors, as you strive a personal strong relationship with God and our Savior Jesus. So going ahead, I'm going to just recap a little bit what we've talked about over the last two weeks. First, we were just trying to understand ordinances and sacraments. We talked about why these two different terms are used, why some people refer to them as ordinances, other denominations will refer to them as sacraments, how these have kind of led to, especially within evangelical Christianity, almost a uh, non-reverence towards the things that help us encounter God. I'll go ahead and reread a section out of a quote from uh, Dr. Siegler in his book of Christian worship, where he talks about early Christian worship combined both the inward attitude and the outward symbols representing the gospel as revealed in Jesus Christ. Paul emphasized both spirit and symbolic acts in his writings. Christians are in, a are in a dynamic relationship to Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. The entire body of Christians shares in the blood and the body of Christ. Because there is one bread we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. The truth of the gospel is embodied in the symbols such as words and objects and are also in rituals or actions. Last week, we jumped into kind of understanding the different arguments of why our Roman Catholic and Orthodox brothers hold seven distinct sacraments. Well, we 
in evangelical Protestant Christianity hold only two. So the first week we all, we kind of jumped into that we offshoot third one that a lot of charismatic and brethren churches hold and talked about foot washing and why that's been held as a sacrament, why most people don't hold it as a sacrament. Uh, then last week we looked at how traditionally the Roman Catholic Church sees that there are seven sacraments instituted by Christ, which are baptism, the Eucharist, confirmation, penance, anointing of the sick, holy orders, and matrimony. And then we went through their different arguments why there is this verse that we they use to justify this one, another verse that is justified this one. Today, we're going to jump forth about a thousand years from the fifth century when those seven sacraments started getting instituted within the church to the Protestant Reformation to up today's current Protestant denominations where we only observe communion and the Lord's Supper, communion, the Lord's Supper and baptism. So today we're going to move forward into why that is. Well, according to the question and answer number 68 in the Heidelberg Catechism, Christ instituted two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Here begs the question, how do we know something is a sacrament? Well, according to... Uh, let's see, who was this that I'm quoting? Oh, this comes out of the Protestant Reformed Churches of America. They answer, the answer is that it must both be symbolic ritual commanded by Christ himself and confirmed by the command or practice of the apostles, which this rules out foot washing, referring back to how we talked about week one and looking at John 13 and how Christ said, do this as I command you to do, that was taken in interpretation of, oh, because Christ commanded us to do this in his way, we should therefore wash each other's feet in the manner. We talked a lot about how that passage is Christ commanding his servants, follow this new command that I have given you, which is to love one another to serve each other is kind of more the overarching picture of how we even got there. And so the Reformed Churches of America continue that with, though foot washing is done by Christ, it is neither commanded by him, he only says, do as I have done to you, nor is it confirmed either by the command or done in the example of the apostles. This we refer to as the institution of the sacraments. So the reason why there are two and only two sacraments is found in the sacraments themselves. Baptism symbolizes our entering into God's covenant and salvation and the way we enter into. The Lord's Supper symbolizes our faith within that covenant as we enjoy and live in the salvation he has freely given us. There's no need or place for anything else within those sacraments, for there is nothing else 
to symbolize. And not only that, but they speak of the fact that of his death and his blood are central. Baptism says that it is by his blood that we enter in. The Lord's Supper adds that it is by his blood and sacrifice that we live and move and have our being, our strength, and nourishment. When once we have entered, his sacrifice is everything to us. So why not the other five? Well, we can look at some responses here. Um, I have a quote from the United Churches of Canada, eh? where they discuss why they do not hold the other five sacraments that were defined by the Council of Trent during the Protestant Reformation. They say, in response to the Council of Trent, defined a sacrament as a visible sign of an invisible grace. It's not that rituals like marriage, confirmation, ordination, and etc. lack grace or that there is no biblical basis for them, but in their zeal to call the church to measure its actions against Jesus, the reformers argued that none of the sacraments apart from baptism and communion were commanded by Christ himself in the Bible. This was kind of the point we were pointing to last week when we were discussing how the church, how the Roman churches and the Orthodox churches say, hey, by this, there's this grace imparted. By doing this, we encounter God. By holding these godly Christian values in front of us as a model of meeting Christ, we grow deeper within him. And just as the United Church of Canada has stated here in this section, I made a very similar reaction in my commentary as we kind of broke down how the Christian church, and especially Protestant churches, how we in every church pretty much still keep similar areas of these within the church, we just don't call them sacraments or think that by doing this, there's some form of grace more interparted to us. In fact, I made the very good reference of how we, by doing these, and these are things that we should at least think of, we should, we do encounter God, but yet do we really give them the same equality as when we commune together to partake of the Lord's Supper or when we are baptized into the faith, when we take that step of baptism with our Lord and Savior? So now we get to the great reformer, Martin Luther, the man who's the godfather of the Reformation. So Luther, in his prelude on the Babylonian captivity of the church, which was his biggest attack against the papacy, and specifically he confronted the sacramental system of the Roman church that controlled the lives of its adherent form from birth to death. Based on his interpretation of the Bible of the seven sacraments, 
Luther accepted only the validity of baptism and the Eucharist. Now, as I discussed last week and have mentioned several other accounts with our Catholic, Roman Catholic and Orthodox brothers in Christ, uh, we who disagree on things, and a lot of it comes out of abuse that has happened over the past that may not be held today or was or was always held within the church, but this is what birthed our departure as Protestant Christians from the Catholic Church and why we took and reinterpreted stuff and how reformers like Luther and Calvin saw themselves doing the work of St. Augustine and other early saints of the church from the early four, five, three hundreds who built the church that the Roman church held as its core belief system. And as time would progress, controlled, contorted, and used it in its own manipulation with horrible popes. And let's face it, not every pope was good. Not even any good Catholic would subscribe would subscribe to that same belief. In fact, I've talked about how Dante himself puts several popes in the inferno in his work in literature. But as I divulge into this nice fun tangent that, you know, I just like to get off on some tangents sometimes. I don't know if you guys like to hear me ramble. I just need to do it sometimes. My wife will just kind of sit there and listen. So thank you for indulging me in that slight tangent. Hopefully, you know, it helps you kind of view our brothers and sisters who we disagree with and encourages you to just kind of listen to their point of thought. But anyway, back to Luther's argument. Luther said, considering the Lord's Supper... He criticized the Roman practice of withholding the wine from the laity in the Eucharist and the doctrine of transubstantiation. Contrary to many of the essential tenets of the Roman Church, this treaty was Luther's most critical attack on the institution to date. Nevertheless, he does go on to say, it seemed proper to restrict the name of sacraments to those promise which have signs attached to them. The remainder not being bound to signs are bare promises. Hence, there are strictly speaking but two sacraments in the church of God, baptism and the bread. For only in these two do we find both the divinely instituted sign and the promise of forgiveness of sins. The sacraments of penance, which I added to these two, lacks the divinely institutionized visible sign and is, as I have said, nothing but a way and a return back to baptism. Luther referred to God's repeated use of visible signs to support his conclusion in which the system of the sacrifices in the Old Testament, in such as an example, a sacrament, is a sign of the divine will, which betokens his real presence among men and can be called an epiphany of God. The Paschal Lamb was given as a sign to Israel 
that they would recall that God brought them out of Egypt and that he was present with them. This is what Christ did in the case of the sacraments. He placed a sign before the eyes of the Christians accordingly. They were strengthened through the word and through the sign. This visible sign appropriated by the senses is a help for the faith in God's work. Yes, it must be external so that it can be perceived and grasped, thus brought into the heart. In addition to visible sign, the actual physical nature of the sacraments is important. Since they are physical, we participate in them through our physical bodies. Thus, not only are they visible signs of God's work, but they are a testimony to the doctrine that our physical bodies also share in God's grace. He should go on to quote Altheus in saying, Through its physical character, the sacraments assures us that our bodies are intended for eternal life and blessedness. So, as we're getting ready to wrap up, because surprisingly, when you go on the internet and when you start digging around in some different references, there is not a lot that argues for the sacraments other than what Luther had written and pretty much the same quote that everyone gives up because these two were written and explicitly per permissioned in the Bible by Jesus Christ himself to follow. These are the only two in which we follow. So, though the remaining five, six sacraments, depending how you're viewing foot washing, bear important symbolism and tangible lessons, they do not hold a specific command to follow. Also, secondly, they do not have Old Testament roots. Now, we're going to get real deep into this in the next upcoming sections as we get the introduction to baptism and baptism in the Old Testament that I plan on discussing next week. And then following that, not everything that is tangibly, that is tangibly connected to God and gives us that tangible connection to him is equal in importance. So what do I mean by that? Well, as I was studying up on the arguments of the seven sacraments from some different Roman Catholic sources, uh, they gave a great illustration that I think I can use to kind of relate to how they view the additional five sacraments for us Protestants. Now, if you know anyone who is Catholic or if you yourself are Catholic, you would probably agree that one of the big tenets of helping your daily spiritual life is by praying the rosary. You take the rosary beads, you pray out the Hail Marys, Our Fathers, um, uh, like on the other prayers that go along with it, Glory Bees. And so you go through these segments of prayers and meditation for your spiritual life. Uh, very, very crucial part. Uh, many Catholics do it multiple, once or twice throughout the day. Also, Orthodox. Some Protestants might even do it. it there's, there's a lot of good scripture, actually, when you sit down and actually read what all those reflections are. 
to be done. Maybe I'll actually do a video on that. that I hope that's not too controversial. But anyway, moving on, uh, they, they describe, you know, this is a great sacred part of the Roman Catholic faith. However, it was not instituted directly by Christ to do. And just because there is great spiritual value that draws us towards God, it is not on the same equal playing field of the seven. I would argue the same here in the take of the remaining five, which are things that, as discussed previously, are still very much an integral part of our faith and relationship with God. Things like looking at marriage as the mirror of Christ in his church. Things like praying for blessing and anointing people who are sick. Things like uh, confirming our faith. In fact, let's face it, any Protestant church that does infant baptism also still holds confirmation within their church themselves. Uh, what, were some, what one am I missing here? Uh, the call to ministry, the uh, ordination of priests and everything, that, I mean, let's, we, we hold that in very high value for those who are called as pastors, missionaries, uh, evangelists. We see the connection and the strengthening of God. We just do not put them on the same level as the Lord's Supper and the baptism of those who are believers and covenanted in with our God and King. So there, so as I want to bring it together, where is our focus? What is the most important? Is it wrong to use things to gain that tangible relationship with God? Of course not. We need to be connecting with God through the things that he gives us. He has made, revealed himself to man, and there are different modes in which we can see God working within our life and we can see relationships and strengthening to him. But those things do not automatically equal a something that is a direct revelation and direct command from God. So in closing, I want to go ahead and go over the Lord's blessing, the ironic benediction. I want to pray that as you go forth this week, you take into account what we're discussing here, how you can go forth with the grace of Christ and our Savior and say, hey, I'm going to use this to grow my relationship and I'm going to use how I'm growing my relationship to help my friends and my neighbors and my family to grow their relationships. So as we conclude May Yahweh bless you and keep you. May Yahweh let his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May Yahweh show you his face and bring you peace. Go in Christ and go in grace, brothers and sisters. Blessings and shalom.